Welcome to Grace Point. Uh, glad to have you on, on, on today. Today's a, a special day. I know some of y'all are here just because of the specialness of today. It's special every day, I, I believe, but it's extra special because it means something to your family, especially if you're kind of sitting over here in this section right here, close to the baptistry. So, so glad to have everyone with us and what this day means. In the past two weeks, this week included, we have incorporated into the service two very important ordinances, if you will, and I'm going to break that word down in just a moment, but very important parts or elements of worship uh, of the church and kind of what they mean. Last Sunday, we uh, we observed communion or the Lord's Supper, and then this week, we're going to be observing baptism and kind of how they all fit together in one great big story is a, is a pretty important thing. Now, some churches call them sacraments. Now, sacrament means that it's something that I'm going to do that makes me sacred, okay? At the very word sacrament is the word sacred, okay? The idea that I'm going to do something, it's going to make me holy, righteous, good unto itself. Some of y'all, listen very carefully, were here last week and took communion because you were hoping that taking communion would right a wrong. That you it would, it would set, set things right with something that you did wrong Saturday night. And the, the reality is I get that. I get that thought. And, and, and some people will, will observe baptism. They're like, okay, if I, the, that water over there is going to wash away my sins. Listen, that's Bentonville City water that you would bathe in if we didn't grab it first. And so uh, it's, it's just normal water. There's no holy water about it, okay? It's not in the water. The secret's not in the sauce of the water or, or in, the, in the grape, Welch's grape juice drink. It's not in that. That's a, there's nothing that you can do, communion, baptism, any other religious observing, cross yourself or whatever, that will make you sacred, okay? And this is based in scripture, okay? It's not what, what, what we do. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says like this. I want you to read it out loud with me. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit. All right, now notice there he said, it's not because of anything we have done. Okay, it's not what we have done, it's what he did. Everything about being right with God, him saving us, he mentions it twice in that verse, him saving us is not what we do us doing a sacred act, us do, by doing any of that court sort of religious functionality, it's all based and tied to what he did. He did something for us. So we don't call them sacraments uh, when it comes to communion or Lord's Supper or baptism. They're not sacraments. We kind of use, throw around the word ordinance. And again, again, these are all church terms. I'm going to throw out three big church terms to you and it's all going to make kind of sense, I think, in the end. But, and really even this one, I don't even like because it kind of points to something that you're told to do. The church is told to do this, which is true. We are told to observe certain elements, certain things. You might think in terms of a city ordinance, if the city says you can't do this or you should do that, or you must do this, they don't simply say you should, they say you must or you don't. And so whatever the case, the ordinance may be, you, you obey it, okay? Or you pay the crime, you pay, you do the time or whatever the case may be. Well, there's two ordinances or there's two things that, that, that Jesus did tell us to do, all right? They, so therefore we call them ordinances, but let's, let's look at them. One of those we did last week was the observance of communion or the Lord's Supper. 
uh, follow along and you can see where it says to do. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Now we read this last week, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But he said, then he had given thanks. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. All right, tells us, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So there again, he tells us to do this. Another ordinance or another thing he tells us to do is to baptize. And it tells us this in Matthew chapter 28. It says, go therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. So as we're going, as we're making disciples, along the way, be baptizing them. So these are some things that he has told us to do. Now, we don't do these every week. Now, you might know this. Some churches, they do them every week. Typically, the churches that believe that they are sacramental, uh, they'll sometimes do these every week. Communion is every week thing. No, 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 not for everyone. I'm not trying to pigeonhole anyone here. But some will think it's an every week thing. If you don't do it, you're missing out. You'll not go to heaven or something like that. But again, being saved, being right with God is not based on what I do. It's based on what he did. So again, we've got to reverse that a little bit, okay? We've got to change that up a little bit. It's not basic, baking on myself here. And so we don't do it every week, but when we do it, we try to make it big. So what we do, instead of doing it every week, about four or five times a year, we'll carve off a service and we'll make that the theme. Everything will center pivot around that. So last week, right in the middle of my message, I stopped it. We all stopped and we took communion. This week, it's kind of like the, the capstone on the service. It's what I'm sharing about. It's the end of our service. It's going to be the best message you're going to hear will be those who go through the water of baptism. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. So I don't, but I don't really prefer the word sacrament. Neither do I really like the word ordinance. I like the word gospel. I want to refer to that. Again, another religious term, but let's put some definition to it. Let's put some meat on the bones today because this is a word used a lot in the Bible. I don't like the other two words, sacrament or ordinance, because they're not in the scriptures, but I do like gospel. It's so many times. It's 104 times used in the New Testament. All right, 104 times the word gospel or euangelion is used in the New Testament. 104 times, 23 of those times were just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Jesus uttered the word gospel a number of times himself. So the gospel is an important fundamental word. What does it mean? We'll get there in a moment. It's so important, it's used by Paul most of the time. In fact, Paul uses it more than even Jesus uses it. He uses it 75 of the 103 times. John, Peter, and in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned six times. It is a major theme that runs from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, excuse me, throughout the entire New Testament. But hey, hang on this. Paul uses it in every single writing of his except for one, the book of Titus. Every single letter he wrote to every single church outside of Titus, which was to an individual, he uses the word gospel. It is a major undercurrent of everything that we believe. Now, what does it mean? There are, diff- there are so many different definitions. There are so many people, I think, even misuse the word today, overuse the word today. There's seven possible definitions in the English language dictionary. There's so many different definitions for the word gospel out there. But yet, Barnes says, of those who attend church, and some of y'all would fall into this category, one in three of them don't even have, can't give a true biblical definition of what the word gospel means. But yet it is one of the leading words throughout the scripture. It's, it's pivotal to Paul's message all the way through. Let's talk about it because that's what 
I believe last week and this week is all about. It's not about an ordinance that we're supposed to do. It's not so much about a sacrament that's going to make us holy. It's about the gospel. And what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is absolutely paramount importance to get this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says it like this. I want to remind you of what? The gospel. I preach to you which you received on which you have taken your stand. Basically, he said, listen, this is what I gave you. This is what you built your faith on. This is everything that you're going to stand on is the gospel. By the gospel, you are saved. So remember back to Titus chapter 3 when it talked about that he saved us. Well, now we come to the gospel. It says that you are saved through the gospel. So Jesus and this whole gospel word are going to fit together here in just a minute. And you're going to see it. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, which was the gospel, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. There's nothing more important than what I'm about to share with you. Now, despite reading all of that, it still doesn't tell us what the gospel is. The very next words say this. This is what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. Absolutely. That right there is the gospel. Don't let anybody, I've heard people talk about gospeling relationships. They use it in a verb form, they use it in adverb form, they use it in every kind of verb. It's not. It's this idea that the gospel is, is, is a thing, is a, it's a noun, it's, it's this, this element that has happened out here in time. And Jesus represents the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the death, burial, and resurrection. He is gospel. Jesus is gospel. And Jesus, person, place, he is a noun. He, he is the gospel. And if we understand and embrace that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that that should affect every single part of our life, then we understand the gospel. We understand what we did last week and what we're going to observe this week. Last week, those who took communion they remembered the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As they took the cup, that cup represented the blood of Christ. They took the bread, that bread represented the body of Christ that was broken for us. The, the blood represents the blood that he spilt for us while he was dying on the cross. Today, there will be people standing in a pool of water. They'll be lowered back. They'll come straight back up. That represents the idea that Christ died on a cross and he was buried and he rose again. The gospel. They are representing, they are declaring, they are pronouncing the gospel. We even read last week, as you take the communion, you are declaring the gospel. You're declaring Jesus Christ. Now, what is, what is this believer's baptism that we talk about? Because there's different forms of baptism, different church traditions. We believe in believer's baptism, where it is a believer who declares. So let's look at this. A public declaration of a personal confession. Public in that it's happening here in this room. Okay, it's not something that happens privately. That's between me and God. It's just me, just he and I. We're we're peeps, and that's it. You know, it's it's my relation. No, listen, the gospel penetrates your life to where it becomes public, becomes public in you. All right, if Jesus is a little private relationship, you don't know the gospel. The gospel is a public declaration of a personal. Moms, dads, I'm sorry if you talk your kids into being baptized. It's an injustice to them. You need to be baptized. No, 
They will be baptized when God prompts them at the right time. All right? It's not that you're going to fix them and make them righteous. They're not going to be baptized enough times to make them righteous. We've established that. Put the, put the definition back up there, guys. So let's, let's keep reading it. It says, it's a public declaration of a personal confession symbolizing the linking of my life to Jesus Christ. Through what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. The gospel. Linking our lives together through the gospel. Last service, I'll challenge you because I'll challenge you in this service the same. Some of y'all have been followers of Christ for a number of years, but you've never publicly declared your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never been baptized as a believer. Oh, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. Oh, I went through christening. Or oh, I went through catechism. Or oh, I went through this. I went through that. I, I, I get it. You went through those things and mom and dad sent you through those things. But listen, have you made a public declaration of your faith relationship with Jesus Christ because of the gospel affecting your life? That's what it means to experience and declare believer's baptism. That's why it's so important that you make that conscious decision. And some of y'all haven't done that and you didn't come prepared for that. And you're like, okay, I'm going to challenge you something. I'm going to challenge you to go home wet. Literally, I mean, it's going to rain anyway, so you might as well go home wet from holy water, I mean, from water than, than, than out there. So, but what, what, what some of y'all need to do is literally when everybody, I'm going to dismiss some people here in a few moments, and they're going to go out that door, and you just need to get in line. We actually had a dad do that last service. His wife and three, two children were baptized, and he joined them, coming from that back section right up there, and joined them and went home wet. A beautiful thing. Whenever you're going to say, hey, I as a dad, I'm not going to let my family go without me. I'm not going to declare their faith without me. I'm going to declare it with them. A beautiful thing happens. When you are baptized, it is like, you've all, we've all been to restaurants before and we feel like, okay, I want my money back because that food was not worth that price. You know, I'm not going to come back here again and food was bad, service was bad, some, everything was bad or something was bad. Food, this, I mean, they keep doing that. They're going to close. They end up closing. They put a new sign out. Somebody comes in, remodels, does something under new ownership. I'm going to go try it again. And you go and you try it. Oh, listen, when you are baptized, you're saying, I'm under new ownership. You're telling everyone in this room and everybody who will witness this, I'm under new ownership. There's going to be a difference in me. This doesn't make me under new ownership. This doesn't wash it away. It is merely me declaring I'm under new ownership. Take your Bibles and find the book of Romans. It's in the middle of the New Testament. It's one of the most densely packaged theological books of the, of the, of the New Testament. It is uh, it's Paul writing to Rome. He's not in Rome. He's writing to the church of Rome. He didn't start the church at Rome. It was already going, but he's speaking truth into them. And from chapter 3 to chapter 5, you find where he is declaring the substitution of Christ dying on our behalf. That Christ died in our place. That Christ died for us. That he is on our, he is rooting for us. He died for me. That's what you see from chapter 3 to chapter 5. Chapter 6, it turns to us identifying with Christ. Where he talks about a substitution in the first section. He's talking about identification in the second section. Us identifying with him in death. Us equally dying with him. Our death is with his death and how that is all intricately spiritually linked together. But the problem is, is that Rome was suffering from the same thing that we are suffering from in our own land and society today. 
There's a problem with antinomianism. Now, we don't go around throwing around the word antinomianism, but it's a Greek word meaning nomos, which means law or idea of precepts and laws. And the anti-antinomianism was a problem that was going on. It's like, hey, we don't believe that there's really any good laws out there from God, so we're just going to rewrite the moral code. That's what they were doing. Exactly what we're doing in our culture today. We're rewriting our moral code. They were rewriting the moral code. They were like hippies from the 60s is what they were doing. They, hey, listen, listen, feels good, do it. Just go on and go for it. You don't have to listen to God. He's not going to tell you, listen, his laws are all. And what Paul comes back to, to is he says, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. In fact, take your Bibles and let's look at chapter uh, 6, verse 1. It says, shall we, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Simple question right? Because a lot of people are that way. By no means. I was reading in the Greek this past week, and it was by that no means. We can't even, we don't even have a word. We don't have a phrase to emphasize what he is saying. He is saying, you are an idiot if you think that. You are got, your elevator's not going to the top floor if you think that. You need to recheck yourself if you think that you can keep doing what you want to do and yet call yourself a follower of Christ. That will not fly in any kingdom of God, okay? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If it's dead and gone and outside, and listen, if you've got something dead, dead cat, dead rat, dead anything in your life and you're hanging on to it because of sentimental value, your house is going to begin to stink. All right, your life will begin to stink. Bury dead things, okay? We need to bury sinful things in our life and not hang on to them. Otherwise, our lives begin to stink. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, here's the word. It's going to use it a lot in this passage. Baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love that last phrase. We'll save it till the end, but just hang out. That's where we're going. In a new life. But first of all, you got to back up and you see this spiritual concept playing out here of this idea of a spiritual baptism that happens with us that what we do, listen, listen, it's not our invention. It goes all the way back to the first century. We take it and we make it a symbol that represents what happens to us spiritually inside. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about a spiritual baptism that we're going to represent in a physical manner, okay? So hang, just keep those two uh, running parallel with one another. And so this whole moral code rewriting is not the way it should be. We should kill the things that are sin in our life. Get rid of them. Bury them. Get them out. What are we declaring when we declare the gospel? What are we saying? Three things. Number one, I'm saying that I belong. I belong to Christ. That's what he said there in verse three. You're baptized into Christ. 
Now, I believe every word in Scripture is inspired as God gave it to the original writers. I think it's every word right down to the word ice, E-I-S, if you were to transliterate it, which is the word there in two. In, in Greek, it's the idea of becoming a part of something. I'm on the outside, now I'm on the inside. I'm out here, now I'm in here. I am now a part of the fam, okay? If I was living in Texas and I introduced myself as my last name is Bush, you might immediately think, are you any kin to the bushes? All right, not to the tree bushes, but to the bushes as in the president bushes. All right, and the, or if I was living in the Northeast and I was from Massachusetts and I had a different accent and I would say my name is Kennedy, you might think, oh, you're part of the Kennedy family. Names mean something. Heritage means something. Identity means something. Whether you like him or not, it means something. He's saying here that when you become a part of Christ, when you are baptized, you are in that spiritual inside of you. And then we represent it on the outside here is the idea that I become a part of Christ. He belongs to me and I belong to him. It's this beautiful relationship. This is not the only time he uses the word of being baptized into Christ. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, baptized into Christ, having put on Christ. And in Matthew 28, 19, we read it earlier, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Each time it's the word ice. Each time it's that Greek word, ice, it's the idea of being a part of, being put into, being made a part of. You belong to Christ. You are one with Christ. That's what baptism is a declaration of. I'm one with Christ. That's why you see in the Bible so many times people being saved and then immediately going and being baptized. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved and then they were baptized. It was a very important, significant part. The Ethiopian eunuch was going along in his chariot and gets saved because Philip leads the, to the Lord. It's a beautiful picture, a beautiful story. And they're in this desert kind of climate, but yet he finds a hole. There's enough water he can be baptized in. You go on through and you find Paul was baptized after he was saved on the Damascus Road and Ananias in this whole beautiful relationship between, because Ananias begins to disciple. It's kind of the first disciple of Paul in this rebirth and baptism in Acts 9. Philippian jailer was baptized in Acts 16 that same day. The whole idea is that when I become a follower of Christ, I become in Christ, there is something beautiful that happens and I should be wanting to go to this water. I should be wanting to declare it. I'm not ashamed of Lori, so I put this ring on and wear it with pride for 24, nearly 25 years because she belongs to me and I belong to her. I am baptized. I was baptized because I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. It's a beautiful thing also is that we become a part of each other, that you belong to Christ's body. You are one of Christ's body. The body is the church. We become part of the church. We become one with each other. That's why I can literally call you my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. We are, we're related. We're connected, not because of anything genetic, not because of, of namesake, but because of the blood of Christ, because of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by this one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Baptized into one body. We become family. This is big. And you go back to the first century, second century, third century, 
before Constantine legalized Christianity, to be baptized meant couldn't mean your life. That's why when somebody would move from one place to another place, they might literally say to them, if you're a believer, then you are you willing to be baptized? Because to be baptized meant a great identification, a great alignment took place at that point. But let me say this also. It still happens today. I was speaking just this morning to a, a young Muslim believer. He was a Muslim. His dad was a mom, was an imam. And he becomes a believer. His name's Yahya. You can pray for Yahya. He's a brand new believer. And, and yet for him to become a believer in, in so many other places across West Africa, and I've been in these villages, I've met these people, that they literally give up everything to identify with Christ and be baptized. Was it the last time I was there, the team that was there with me, they know about this story, about how one individual, when he declared his faith in Christ, he had to move outside of the village had to move and start his whole family over again outside of the village. He was not going to be invited to council meetings. He was not going to be able to sit at the table. He would not be embraced and accepted into the family of that community any longer. And if he died or got sick, the church or some Christian better come take care of him because literally they will not allow you to be buried in the village if you are a baptized follower of Christ. So for us, in our Christian culture, we're going to have 31 people baptized. When I told Yahya that this morning, his message back to me was, you're kidding me. To have 31 people baptized in any village, in any city in West Africa would be an incredible movement of God. The reality is, is that we take it for granted. But some people in this world, to be baptized means persecution. Persecution. We call it celebration, but for them it's persecution. And here's the reality. It may mean that for us someday. Are we willing to declare him? I'm a part of him. The, the second is the declaration of dying. Now, I know that's not something you want to go out and declare, but he says you're baptized into his death, baptized into Christ's death. This is a beautiful, tragic picture, if you will. I don't want to go to death. I don't want to talk about death. But here's something that happens. When, when, when Christ died, what he took with him was he took all the shame, all the guilt, all the attitude, all the sin, all the things that clog up the drains of our world, clog up the peace of our society. He took care of all of that. So I want that out of my life. The only way that's going to get out of my life is to identify with him in that. And to get that out of my life. That's what Paul said in even his own life. Even after he was saved and baptized, he was still talking about it in Galatians 2.20. When he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. Basically, he said, I'm dead with Christ. Because crucified means to die. I have been killed with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that he lived, he lived because of the 
death that he died in Christ. It's a spiritual thing. It's like when Jesus was talking about in John 12, 24. We won't have time to go there, but jot it down and read it for yourself. He talks about a kernel of wheat going into the ground, and it has to die before it can produce life. There's a part of us that whenever we think about it, look, at, look up here, look up here. Whenever you see someone being baptized, it's a physical representation of a spiritual experience that has happened inside of them, that part of them has died. That there's no longer. That they're now belonging to God, and they're going to walk with him. John Stott said it like this, our selfish nature has been defeated, disabled, deprived of power. If you're still all full-on selfishness, I want to ask you, have you identified with Christ? Have you allowed that part of yourself to die so that selflessness is born? That's something you're going to have to do again and again and again. Listen, sin has a sting to it. It has a painful, biting nauseating, some of y'all are allergic to bee, uh, bee stings, a nauseating sting to it that hurts dearly. I did something pretty stupid this past weekend. Wasn't the brightest moment. I went weed eating in shorts. And uh, I'm not the brightest tool or the sharpest tool in the shed. But anyway, I, I take the weed eater out. Josh is mowing the yard, so I'm going to go out and weed eat. And so I start blazing through this this uh, this little uh, patch of weeds that we've got growing up and I'm just in there in the flower beds so I'm stepping up in the flower beds and all of a sudden I looked down I felt something and there was a yellow jacket that had kind of stuck itself on the back of my 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 Achilles heel right back here and I looked down there and I thought that's one one yellow jacket you know, you get a, get away. I mean, I'm a big man. One, one bee sting is not going to stop me. You know, I'm going to go on through here. I'm thinking all of this in a split second. One bee sting isn't going to hurt me. By the time I did that, I had, in two seconds, ankle, two ankles full of bees. And they were just all over. And I, that man, that mighty man that could whip a single bee turns into a whelping kid, boy, throwing down the weed eater and doing a happy dance in the middle of the yard. And I'm running from these bees and they're coming after me. And I ran about, I don't know, maybe 50 yards away and they're still there. And so I ran in the house and, and all I did was yell, Lori, Lori. And I was, and I told her to look up something, home remedy online for, for bee stings. And, and I went with my clothes on and jumped into the, I didn't know what to do because by this time from here down, I'm feeling it. And so I jump into the bathtub. I should start running water all over it, and that helped a lot. And then she got some kind of paste. I don't know what she made it with, but she got some kind of paste, and she put it on on, on my legs. And I'm standing there, and it's like, whew, that feels better. But okay, I, I don't know. And, and I had my horror stories. I was developing my war story of a thousand bees, and I lived through it. And, uh, and here, we, here we go. I'd already planned a night with some guys and we were going to a movie and uh, see Mission Impossible and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, I can handle it. I just take me some uh, uh, Benadryl and, uh, and I'll go to the movies and, and put my little ointment on and, and, and I'm gone. And I, I wasn't halfway through that movie and my ankles are on fire. 
My legs are on fire. I'm like, I can't, I can't stay here any longer. I get up and I leave. I go home that night and I go to bed. I actually wrap my ankle. I got home, I wrap my ankles in ice and that helped. And then I wrap my, and then when I went to bed, I couldn't sleep. So I got up and got cold rags and I wrap my, so I was in quite a bit of pain uh, through that experience and, and then lived through it. I'm here. Okay. I'm here. But, uh, but got up the next day and it's still feeling the, the sense of the, of, of the sting and, and so forth. But now it's gone to itching. I can tell you this, itching is bad. I'm itching this morning. I'm just not itching. I'm not scratching. The, the, the point is, is that there is a sting that happened out there. And it put a little fear, put a lot of fear in, in me for a moment. In fact, immediately after all of that, I'm getting ready to go out to the movies. Josh and I go outside and around a totally, we went out a different door and we went, we went around the house and there's this little bush out there and there's all these little bugs that are doing this right here. And it's like, oh, the yellow jackets are there. So we back up and it was butterflies. And so <laughs> here's the reality is that sometimes you can't tell a butterfly from a bee. Once you've experienced that sting, but here's the beauty of the gospel, is Jesus took the sting of death for us. So I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear it. I'm free from the fear of death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we started by reading the first few verses. We'll end by reading the last verses. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The third declaration. The third declaration is living. Not only belonging... That's a beautiful thing. I belong to you. We belong to you. I belong to Christ. Christ belongs to me. I'm in a family relationship. When I'm baptized into him, when I'm baptized into his death, I'm dying. I'm dying to sin. I'm dying to that sting, that shame, that guilt, that nastiness. It's not going to be a part of me. I'm getting it out of my life. But I'm also, I'm also declaring I'm alive. I'm declaring I'm alive in Christ and I have a new life in Christ. And read verse 4 with me. It says, or follow along. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness. Every time I baptize somebody, I talk about coming up and walk in newness of life. There's a beautiful part, a redemptive part of our broken story of our craziness, of the times that we get stupid, that Jesus redeems and makes whole and makes right again. He doesn't make you perfect, but you're going to constantly be striving to this new life, walking, and you can live it because you have Christ in you. Right now, if you're being baptized, if you are going to walk through those waters of baptism. I want you to stand up right now. If you're getting baptized today, all right? And I want you to go out through that door right there. So right now, this is your time. Go. And let's give them a hand, a round of applause as they go. And we're standing with them. It's a declaration of our living. But let's go back to verse 1 What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How 
He really gets in their crawl. He, all different translations try to get that word. God forbid, by no means, no, no. Um, one translation puts certainly not. Another one says, what ghastly thought were you thinking? How can that be that you would think such a thing? Walk in newness of life. I'm an old Cowboys fan. That means I'm old, but I also like the old Cowboys, all right? It's almost football season, so it's, uh, it's almost that time of year. I used to love going home and listening to Pat Summerall, who used to be uh, one of the commentators, and I love his voice and his play-by-play. And he tells his story, though, that in the mid-'60s, how he had reached this pinnacle of success in his own life or had reached a lot of success in his life, but he'd also reached a, a bottom too. He was an alcoholic. And in that alcoholism, it had so crippled him and controlled his life that he was not free to live. And he had entered into a relationship with Christ, seeking freedom. And Christ gave it to him. And he talked about the difference that it made in his life in this interview that was done and talked about how, you know, the, the same desire that he had for alcohol and he could do anything he could do. He could scrounge around a few bucks. He could scrounge around and find a friend. He could get to that. He could get him a beer. He could get him what he needed to get a fix. He said that same desire became a same desire for, for a Bible study, for a new way of living for a new walk in life. In his own words, he says, it's like an alcoholic looking for a drink. If he wants it bad enough, he can find it no matter what. See, a life in Christ, you live differently. You think differently. You respond differently. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. It can change what you can't change. He goes on to talk about the day he was baptized. This is what he said. I went down to the water and I said, when I came up, it was like a 40-pound weight had been lifted from me. I was happy. I had a happier life, a healthier life, more positive feeling about life than ever before. It will transform your life. Not these waters, but what these waters represent of what has happened inside of your soul. Because Christ died, because Christ was buried, because Christ came back, and because you interface your life completely and fully with the gospel, that's the gospel right there. And you interface your, interface your life with that fully and completely. He changes you. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, the last verse I'll read. In the same way, you are to think of yourselves as dead. Not a real positive thought unless you understand it in light of the gospel. Remember, the old self's dies, goes away, flakes off, whatever you want to say there, as far as sin is concerned, but living in fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. The connection to God comes through Christ. New life comes through Christ. That's the gospel. Do you know him that way? When you know him that way, he becomes your shepherd. If you've been with us for the past three weeks, you've been memorizing Proverbs 23. I want us to say it together. You can close your eyes. You can pray this as a prayer. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From beginning to the end, from the cradle to the grave, the whole idea is walking with God in beauty through darkness and pain, through joys and sadness. There's an ability to walk and to live in freedom because of the gospel. That death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how it interacts with your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ, now would be a beautiful, awesome time to do just that. In your own words, you just cry out and you just say to him, Jesus, I give myself to you. I'm incomplete without you. I want you fully and completely in my life. I'm trusting in your death. I'm trusting in your burial. I'm trusting in your resurrection to bring truth to me, freedom to me. Just tell him in your own words. And maybe as soon as I say amen, your next move needs to be exactly what that Ethiopian man did. The first African ever to give his life to following Jesus. He got out of his chariot and he went and he got baptized. And just like that dad did in our first gathering, you might need to be the person in this gathering will stand up and go right back and get in line. Just tell them, I'm going to go home wet. They'll know what you mean. I want to go home as a follower of Christ, identifying with him in death, burial, and resurrection. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your death, your burial, your resurrection. And Lord, through that, you become our shepherd. You guide us the valleys of the shadows of death. You lead us beside the still waters. You restore our souls. You do so much, Lord. You lead us in paths of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, for these 30 plus people that are being baptized today as a declaration of their faith, thank you, Jesus, for being so real in them. Be glorified in them now in Jesus' name. Amen.